It feels good and right to be here with you this morning in the strength of scripture and singing and community. Throughout this city, the streets have been repaired, finished before the first day of snow in winter. In Penn Square, the tubas have sounded, and in our homes, we have begun lighting candles for their beauty and to say yes to God. Meanwhile, in Isaiah, a cry comes, prepare the way. This cry comes from the heavens, from the divine council, not city council or church council or student council, but the divine council. Heavenly voices are talking with each other, and the prophet overhears what they are saying, so he will cry out the message because that is what prophets do. Comfort, comfort my people. This word of the Lord will travel from Babylon, that area we now know as Iraq, where Isaiah lived at that time with his people in exile. And it will echo over the centuries. It reaches us here today. Cry out, speak, prepare. And before we can even ask, cry out what? Or prepare how? Or comfort whom? Another cry comes, this one, in our second scripture reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 2. John the baptizer says, see, I am sending a messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. It sounds like Isaiah because it is Isaiah. John the baptizer is quoting Isaiah in verse 2, which we heard today, as he preaches somewhere there in the Galilean desert near the Dead Sea. And John once the way prepared for Jesus. So John the Baptist has a spot in the larger Advent Christmas story. So on this second Sunday of Advent, we are listening to two messengers, two prophets. This week, I visited the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and in the entrance hall, a large banner hung there displaying five simple words in large letters. I had been reading Isaiah, and the way those words popped out at me, I thought, has Isaiah been here? Those five simple words were rise, claim, root, care, move, That banner was actually an invitation to an exhibit that I want to see on another day. In the gallery on that day, I did not find Isaiah's image, but John the Baptist was there in the paintings, sometimes a smaller figure tucked in the background behind the shadows of the Madonna and child. And on a few canvases, he stood there by himself, a large figure, at peace with the wild animals, at home 
in the wilderness. He speaks in the desert, where it seemed to people that God often came close. And they wanted this. From the countryside, all the people, all the people, says Mark, were going out to John in a camel's hair garment with his locusts and honey. Locusts and honey. In my backyard, at our house, at the end of summer, we count the locust shells hanging on the barks of the trees, where in August they had been singing. Now in cold December, those locust shells still stick to the bark of the tree. And I will leave those locust shells right there on that tree. But in my kitchen, I do have honey. So when I wake up on a sleepless night, I will be with John the Baptist. I will make some tea, stir in a little honey, local honey, for immunity against the local winter viruses. And the tea and honey will be healing for my body and sweetness for my soul, a cup of comfort. But John the Baptist is not pouring himself a soothing nighttime cup of tea. He is shouting in the desert. As a preacher, says one commentator, John the Baptist was a smashing success. He addresses head-on the issues of the day. He's speaking to his predominantly peasant audience. And when John the Baptist talks about remission of debts, peasants in the Judean countryside get it immediately. They were deeply in debt. In first century Palestine, much similar to what we read about Jerusalem today, as much as 35 to 40% of agricultural production was eaten up by a variety of taxes. So-called deliverers had given false promises. So the baptizer tells the truth about their trouble. And the truth-telling itself becomes at least small comfort for those who need it most then and now. In this season, when expectations are high and emotions are raw, so many people long for their lives to be, as my Quaker friend says, rightly ordered. We feel this too in December. And it stirs within us a longing to move toward life that is rightly ordered. This congregation, it seems to me, works and prays within the circle of John's cry. You have an unusual capacity to listen to the cries of desolation near and far and to interpret what is going on there. You sustain this work through reflective thinking and constructive conversation. And if and when it is time to take a word into the public square, like Isaiah and John, you follow that impulse too.
These are practices that steady our souls and bring a non-anxious presence into an anxious world. So this morning, with two prophets, two deserts, and two communities living with what I call a kind of prayerful mournfulness, we are listening as we toggle back and forth between Isaiah and Mark. We are watching how a word of comfort might turn into reality. Are we willing to be puzzled by that and to move toward it? John the Baptist, we have remembered, preached in the first century in the Galilean desert. Isaiah, on the other hand, is preaching in the sixth century before the Common Era. With Isaiah, we really are stepping back in time. Last Sunday, in Isaiah 64, the exiles had already returned home to Jerusalem, at least a portion of them. But today, in Isaiah 40, they are still in Babylon. They were somewhat settled there. Their temple, their center had been destroyed, and that was huge. But they had built a network of synagogues. They had planted gardens and raised a a new generation. They had made their foreign place almost home enough that they were almost ready to stick into the ground their yard signs. No matter where you are from, you are welcome here. And they were feeling pretty good about that. Yet the Persian king, Cyrus, had held out hope to them, promising to build a road for them, literally to return home to Jerusalem. But Cyrus had not delivered on that promise. They felt stalled in many ways. They needed a new impulse delivered from somewhere to get their stalled progress back on track. So Isaiah imagines for them a highway that is not just a highway home to Jerusalem, but a highway to God. So will they take it? Their desolation has been long. If you read through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, you will find grief upon grief. No one forgets this kind of multi-layered desolation. In our day, we realize that we need to take time to mourn. Even if our jobs ask us to return in three days, or if we feel rushed to get over it, we need this time. We need the biblical practice of lament for our comfort. Just think of your own time of anxiety or grief recently or even now. And the way you became ready or were not yet ready to move on. All of us are called to follow Isaiah and John into the desert. To prepare to hear Isaiah's tender word. And he cries it out. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that she has served her term. That her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
in Handel's Oratorio Messiah, often sung this time of year in the major and minor chords of the music, we hear tenderness and longing and release. But Messiah's libretto does not include one bothersome little phrase from our chapter 40, verse 2, which says in particular, Judah, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So what is Isaiah saying that she has received double? Is it double punishment or double grace? If God cared, which God does, why did the pain go on so long? If they were called to suffer twice as much as other nations, maybe after all their God Yahweh, they worried, was no match for the Babylonian gods who punished Judah in their view. Had they failed? Or was it Cyrus? Or was it God? Any one of these unresolved questions could become a sermon for another day. Puzzlement is part of our human experience. And Isaiah offers us the courage to let those questions rise within us and disturbingly or gently lead us to a deeper yes on the highway to God. Their road to God that Isaiah imagines will carry them home. When you hear God's cry, says Isaiah, climb to the top of the high mountain, lift up your voice and say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. In Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, they were supposed to shout out comfort to all the cities of Judah. On this particular Sunday, in this week, with Jerusalem in the headlines and in, in our text, we do need to stop and say that Isaiah's cry was not a summons to make Jerusalem the capital of a nation state. For them, Jerusalem was the center of their cultic life, their worship, and their civic life. They were at a point in time when, as a people, they needed to learn how to be in the service of a wider public than they had imagined before. We have our own time of public reckoning, and they had theirs. Isaiah was helping them to find a way and to make a way for others. This comfort was for all. So let the poet sing his song for us again today. Let the prophet preach it all over again. Isaiah has sung about the highway to God, and now he takes another image that is familiar to them and makes it true for them. When Isaiah sings, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. They are imagining a world where there would be kings who would be generous 
and public-spirited, looking out for everyone in their flocks. He will gather the lambs, sings Isaiah, and carry them in his arms and gently lead the mother sheep. Then or now, it has been said, in any community or society, a measure of the well-being of that society is how well children are cared for. In Isaiah's picture, even mothers, busy mothers of young children, get a break. Today, here with you, I feel grateful for the ways you love my grandchildren, Leah and Noah, and for the ways they love you. And I'm remembering that over a year ago, in their time of trouble, someone delivered to Sarah and Ryan's house a loaf of bread. It was baked in, it was homemade, and it was baked in the shape of a lion. And the note said, this is for two children who are courageous. Your creative words and acts have brought comfort to many households. Today, here, two ancient prophets have spoken to us again. Today, we remember that puzzlement is part of our human experience and that we need to make a listening space for longing and grief. We have seen again that practices such as truth-telling and prayerful mournfulness belong on the road to God. And we have seen that we are carried by the arms of the shepherd. In Isaiah, we have heard the call to comfort and the invitation to be comforted. The word comfort begins our passage in Isaiah, but the second passage from the Gospel of Mark does not contain the word comfort, or so I thought. But before we leave it, let's look again. Because in Mark 1.8, John says that Jesus will baptize them with, listen for it, the Holy Spirit. There it is. Not the word, but the essence of comfort. I was surprised by this. The Holy Spirit is breath and wind. It is also the comforter. We cannot hold the Spirit in our hands like a hot cup of tea with honey or a loaf of lion-shaped bread. It will rarely be announced by tubas in Penn Square or from the highest point in Jerusalem. People are grass But this spirit breathes within us. This same spirit nudges us to move toward comfort. The other day at the Philadelphia Museum, the art museum and the gallery upstairs, the guide upstairs sent us downstairs to locate one particular painting. For this season, she said, you don't want to miss it. Go to the American exhibit and find Asawa Tanner's 
painting the Annunciation. Tanner, a turn-of-the-century, 20th century, that is, American artist, visited Syria, and that visit inspired this realistic painting. In it, a young Syrian Mary sits on her bed, contemplating the word that she has just received. I have a little card with this picture if you want to see it after the service, if you haven't seen it yet. Mary is sitting there, and instead of angels and halos, luminous light fills the room. Mary will say yes, but in that enunciation moment, she is sitting with it. Today, we have received a word of comfort. Take it with you on the roadway to God in this season and in the light of two candles. Let it puzzle you and comfort you. May it be so. Let it be so. Let it be.